Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. Welcome back to the podcast. Welcome to the art of being you. I'm really excited to talk about today's topic. Um, We're going to be talking about something that is the driving passion of my life. uh, And and in some seasons, the all consuming thought on my mind. And that's not hype. That's just really how it is for me. Doesn't have to be that way for you, but that's how it is for me. We're going to talk about identity and the direction the church is taking uh, and the shift that we're going through right now. I had an interesting experience on election day where I was talking to this older gentleman. He was in his seventies, really weathered man, missing several teeth, uh, walking with a cane, hadn't showered in quite a while, hard of hearing, you know, just had lived a a long life. And we were talking, I noticed on his jacket, it said a, a name of a trucking company. And I said, Oh, were you a truck driver? And he said, Oh yeah, I was a truck driver for 30 years. And then the next thing out of his mouth for no reason, and I I had not even said anything about me. I had not said I was a pastor. He looked at me and he said, you know, I had a pastor tell me once years ago that I was going to hell because I drove whiskey in my truck. And I looked back at him unequivocally and I said, sir, I'm pretty sure that's not what the Bible says. And we began to talk about it. And we began to talk about how, you know, the, the behavior of your life is not the definitive reason of why you're going to heaven or to hell. And it broke my heart because the narrative of mainstream Christian conversations over the last, I don't know, 50 years or so has been this narrative that your sin is the most important thing about you. Now your sin matters. It matters a lot. It, it has a, it's a big deal. But it's not the defining characteristic of who you are. And and I genuinely hope that you know that. When God looks at you, your identity is the most defining characteristic of who you are, not your sin. When we don't know Jesus, our sin is a big deal. It keeps us from feeling his presence. It keeps us from being connected to him. It keeps us from him living inside of us because we have this sort of blockade between us and the kingdom of heaven. But when we come into the kingdom, when we repent and we confess Jesus as Lord, when we when we accept his gift of salvation, the payment for our sin, when we do that, then Our sin is no longer the most important thing about us. And dare I say, it never was to begin with. When we are in Jesus, when we're in Christ, our identity is the most important thing about us. Now, last week I shared a a podcast about the Enneagram and my thoughts about it. And and I heard Richard Rohr say something I thought uh, in that podcast I referenced that I thought was really telling and almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. And he said, you know, the problem with the church over the last several decades is that they have not done an adequate job teaching our identity in the likeness of God. And in that one statement, I agree with that wholeheartedly. The way he applied that statement, I don't agree with. He was saying, this is why the Enneagram is so helpful and why you should learn it. But I think he was speaking the truth. We have not as a church done a good job of helping people understand their identity, that you are made in the image and likeness of God. That's what Genesis says. This isn't Richard Rohr's thought. This is God's thought. You were made in his image to be like him. Yes, our sin matters. we got to deal with it, right? We, we need to put it on the cross with Jesus, just like he took it on the cross with him. But 
ultimately your identity is so important. And so my challenge number one to you today is, are you in a community or in a church that's talking about your identity in Christ? And if you're not, go find information about it. There's great stuff on Graham Cook's uh, website that you can find. Andrew Womack has great stuff on this podcast. We talk about identity a lot. I mean, there's a ton of information out there for you to learn about your identity in Christ. It's so important. I think when we don't know our identity and because we've been through an entire generation or two that doesn't know our identity, then we've exposed ourselves to human thinking, to methods and patterns of the flesh that have caused us to come into agreement with lesser versions in ourselves. I mean, some of the big hot topic issues, some of the big sin issues in our life really are rooted from a generation or two coming through that has no idea who we are as God's children. We're not supposed to be sin-focused. We're supposed to be identity-focused people who deal with sin, that we deal with sin through the lens of our identity. doesn't mean that it's not there. doesn't mean it doesn't need to be confessed. doesn't mean that Jesus didn't pay for it. You know, all of that is true. It just means that it's not the driving method of our life. If I sin, when I sin, it doesn't become the central point of shame for me. Yes, I need to deal with it. I need to take responsibility. I take ownership over it. If I've hurt someone with my sin, I'm going to go to them and I'm going to repent to them with for it. You know, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to put the onus on me. And then I'm going to thank Jesus for his forgiveness. And I'm going to move on in my identity, not letting shame redefine who I am because I made a mistake. That's what it looks like to know who you are in Christ. It's interesting because when we're sin focused, we kind of buy into this narrative that it's all about you, right? Like, because all you're thinking about is you, your actions, your motivations, uh, what you're doing with your life. But the Bible has this really interesting statement. Jesus says that he who loses his life will find it. In fact, he actually begins that statement by saying, he who tries to save his life will lose it. Wait, what? So the natural instinct to preserve yourself, the natural instinct to take care of number one, right, to to treat yourself first, is actually not a kingdom thing. It's those who choose to surrender their life, both to Jesus and in practice in daily life, that actually find it. How do we do that? Well, we do that by understanding our identity, by putting aside the things that we want to believe, the things that we wish we could believe, the things that we might think are true. We put all that aside if it is contradictory to who Jesus has said that we are. I think as a church, we have done a really bad job of helping people understand the the reality of the new covenant and the place of our identity as sons and daughters of God. In fact, it's, it's a driving force of my life. It's something I think about regularly, try to incorporate as much as I can for my personal church uh, and, you know, on podcasts and stuff like that, because I think there's such a vacuum of information about it. And, um, but you know, I think that the church is changing. I think there's a shift coming. It's interesting when my husband and I, God called us to plant the church that we now pastor. This was seven years ago at this point. And, um, you know, the Lord began to speak about a different type of church. And I remember both of us having these encounters with the Lord where it, it almost felt like, like a blueprint had come out of heaven. You know, it wasn't exactly like that, but it, this is the best way I could describe it. It almost felt like God was saying, here, read this. This is what I want you to do. 
And it was so different than, and still is so different than like mainstream church, you know, like the, the mainstream denominations where you come and you read the Bible together and you do a Sunday school lessons and maybe there's a snack and, 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 you know, it's really kind of all about you and how are you doing and, and how, you know, where was your last sin and are you being held accountable and are you becoming more like Jesus and all of that's good. So I, I don't want to sound like it's not. But we began to have this vision of a church that was empowered to actually take on the challenges in the community that it was positioned in, that we began to have this vision of a church that would actually position people in different realms of influence, both in business and as teachers and professors of colleges and, uh, and you know, in government as governmental leaders and city council members and um you know, and as pastors and in all these different realms of society as the creative ones who are putting out TV shows and, and stories and novels and that kind of stuff, you know, at the height of creativity. I mean, it's like Harry Potter became so popular and actually opened the door for an entire realm of, of like witchcraft based shows and, 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 um, writings and supernatural paranormal stuff because it was excellent writing that gripped people's heart and like begets like, right? When, when a business person sees money being made somewhere, then they want to get in on the action. And so we began to see this vision of a church that could actually position people in these different sort of realms of influence, for lack of a better word, and, and would be able to bring about change in a way that, that could actually help the marginalized of a community. I don't know about you, but even when I hear myself say that right now, I'm just reminded of how revolutionary it feels and how passionate I am about it. In fact, in Jesus's day, when he was talking about sending out people as apostles, that word apostle at the time that Jesus said it was a very specific, uh, it had a very specific meaning. And at the time, Rome was busy conquering the world. And, and the way that they would do it is they had a ship of people and the ship was called the apostle, the, the first one, the sent one. And on that ship, they would load it with uh, creative artists, with um, great thinkers, with, you know, maybe, I don't know if there were cooks on board, but, you know, people who embodied the culture of Rome, the ethos of who we are as Romans, basically. And they would send that ship ahead of the army ships several months in advance. And those people would begin to demonstrate how amazing Rome was at all the things that they did, you know, chiseling out beautiful statues, how they decorated their homes, um, how they talked, what kind of things they ate. And they began to sort of become this elitist society. And they lived among the people demonstrating how great they were. And then several months later, the, the conquering part of Rome would come and say, Hey, listen, you know, um, we're going to conquer you. So you can either just kind of give up, you know, surrender to us, uh, and, and become like us. And, and we know you love it because you've been seeing how great we are over the last several months. Um, or if you, you know, you can put up a fight and, uh, we'll come and we'll vanquish you. It's sort of up to you. And city after city after city just bowed to Rome and their ways, partially because the ide ideology had infiltrated their culture months before it was something that uh, could be, you know, needed to be militant. This is a, an unbelievable strategy. And here Jesus is saying, this is the strategy we're going to use with the gospel. By calling them apostles, he was directly relating the understanding of what these people who were being sent out were supposed to do to what was actually happening in their culture at that time. This is not just some statement that means leadership or means, you know, uh, uh, someone who, who does new things. It was a demonstrative gospel. 
I actually think in 2020 and the subsequent years that are going to follow, this is the most beautiful picture, the most accurate picture of what the church is going to have to do. We are going to have to demonstrate what it looks like to make money, to be successful at business with Jesus. We're going to have to demonstrate what it looks like to be creative and and produce TV shows and novels and uh, movies, not just movies about, you know, testimonies, which are great, but movies that are about life, things that connect with, with everyone and point them to a deeper thing, not overtly biblical stuff only, which is great. And I love it too, right? The Chosen is an amazing example of this. Yes, it's a Bible story. Um, so there's going to be people who don't watch it just for that, but there's a human component to it that's very connected to our everyday lives. What does it look like for the church to begin to get on board with what Jesus was talking about in the first place and actually infiltrate society in the way that the enemy has been doing for centuries? What does it look like to be the best in our field of medicine, to be the most innovative doctors and nurses who have the highest success rates of patient recovery and different things. Because why? Because we're tapping into the kingdom of heaven and and allowing Jesus to help us become great physicians because he is the great physician. What does it look like in education to be able to be brilliant thinkers and, and learn at a higher level because the kingdom of heaven is, is teaching you how to teach other people? What does it look like with innovation and creativity, uh, not only in inventions and engineers, but in artistic endeavors as well. What what does it look like for the church to be at the forefront of cultural transformation? I don't know about you, but this kind of stuff stirs me up. It makes my my blood run, right? It gets me passionate. I'm having to sit here governing myself to not just go on a huge rant about how important this is in today's day and age. I have this idea, and I'm not going to fully share it here, but I have this idea of something I feel like God is calling me to. It's a strategy that I believe can actually help the poor of our community. It can actually help those who are are working minimum wage jobs that are very difficult jobs, coming home to their kids, and they're tired, and they're worn out, and it's a difficult life for them. And And I have an idea of how to create support systems around them to make life a little bit easier. I'm not talking about just giving handouts because the data shows that handouts don't necessarily bring change. What we need is support systems to help create new ways of thinking for people to come out of the poverty mentality, to come out of the orphan thinking that you're on your own and nobody's going to help you. And what if the church was at the forefront of that? Ooh, man. I get excited when I think about that, but to even come close to trying something like that means that we have to know our identity. You and I, we got to know our identity. We got to understand who God is and we have to stop spending all of our time focusing on when we sin and the shame spiral that tends to follow and spend our time empowering others to rise up into the thing that God has called them to do. You feel called to be a teacher? All right, you go teach with the kingdom of heaven on your side. You go listen for words of knowledge for your students. You pay attention for those that are having learning disabilities. You have opportunities to pray for them and see them healed or have strategies of how to help them work around their challenges. There is help out there, but it will be given to the church. It'll be given to the believers who are asking for it. That's where you and I come in, friend. What's the thing that God's put on your heart? And what does it look like for you to go after it with full abandon? 
Here's the thing, like Jesus is the leader of his church, right? The Bible tells us that he's the head and, and we are the body. So what's so cool about that is that he knows how it all fits together. I can tell you that when we started in real estate four and a half, I guess five, five years ago now, we had no idea what God was going to do. We, we knew that God had said for my husband to get his real estate license. We were also pastors and we were just kind of like, how does this work? I spent the first two years of his real estate career asking God, how does this work to be a pastor and also run a business? This just doesn't make sense to me. And eventually I realized it just works because we're being obedient to Jesus. There's no cut and dry formula about it. It's genuinely like we're just day by day. And all of a sudden we look back and think, well, it is working somehow, right? It is working. We're impacting people. There's fruit that's being born. People are coming to know Jesus. People are, are learning who God is, how to, how to love him more, how to be empowered to, to do the things they're doing. And it's happening both in the walls of the church and out of the walls of the church. There's no need for a clear cut picture. There's only a need for obedience and gusto, right? obedience and guts, guts to have the courage to do something that looks different. I'm here to tell you the church is shifting. Seven years ago, when God was telling us to come and plant this church, you know, I remember saying to the Lord, what you're telling to me doesn't exist. Like it might exist, but I haven't seen it. Some sort of hybrid place where people are infiltrating all the different mountains of society and they're doing it with the power of the Holy Spirit. Like this isn't a thing that I can wrap my mind around. And the Lord began to tell me, and he told my husband as well, he said, you know, in the next 20 years, you're going to see this is going to be the model that I'm calling people into. And I thought that is just, that feels ludicrous to even say out loud. Here we are seven years later, and I have several friends who God has called to do the same thing that we're doing. I know of multiple churches across this nation that are being called to do the same thing that we're doing that I'm telling you in what do we got 13 years left? We're going to see that church looks very different than it does now. We're not going to be rallied around denomination. We're not going to be rallied around even a specific building. We're not going to be rallied around the place that our grandmas went to and we've never even thought for ourselves. We're going to be rallied around the presence of God as we infiltrate this world to bring about the kingdom of heaven for those that don't know him. The be-all, end-all message is that those who don't know him come to know him and that we actually have heaven's ways on earth. In heaven, there is no poverty. In heaven, there is no sickness. In heaven, there is no corruption of power. In heaven, there is no limitation from the human limitation. And I know that we're never going to fully achieve these things, but we're going to get close before Jesus comes back. This is why I can unequivocally say I don't believe the rapture or the end is happening. Uh, I mean, you know, it could, right? I could be surprised and I, I hope to be surprised when it comes because that's what the Bible says. But we can't be looking to that and saying, this is the end. We have to be looking and saying, this is the end as we know it. And our job is to enter into this new era where we actually do something with our faith, where we actually put Jesus on display through our lives, where we actually, it's our hands that create the systems that eradicate poverty in our communities, places like Baltimore, places like Skid Row, places in our nation that have just been entrenched with darkness for generations. You and I have the key for that, but we also have to have the guts and the passion for Jesus to do something on behalf of his kids who are far from him, the opioid pandemic. The solution to that is sitting in heaven right now. It's not just people getting saved. There's real solutions to it, right? It's it's an, it's an, it's a holistic gospel is what I'm trying to say, man, I'm getting fired up. I'm going to wrap this up, but here's what I want to say to you. Do you know that the church is changing? And can you see that that's a good thing? 
what's going to happen, and this is my opinion, so I'm not prophesying here, I'm just telling you my opinion. I think we're going to start seeing this shift where where um, there's going to be these communities like I was just talking about that come to the forefront. And, you know, the old denominations and all that kind of stuff, it's still going to be there, right? But there's going to be sort of like a branch of two different types of Christianity. Those who feel empowered to bring heaven's ways to earth and take Jesus up on his words and become like the book of Acts again, and those who are content to just care for each other's needs and, and I'm not trying to shame that or say that's wrong, but I'm saying there's more out there. And I think we're going to be the average person that's not involved in church right now is going to be able to see the difference in the coming years. It's going to become pretty cut and dry. It's going to become pretty black and white. And my challenge to you is make sure you're on the right side. Make sure you get to be on the front end of what God is doing in this shift. There are hundreds of prophetic words about this out there from big name people. God is shifting and changing his church, and it should be something that's exciting to us. It should be something that you feel empowered about. I'm just telling you right now, I hope you feel courage surging inside of you. Whether your calling from God is to mother or father your children or to be in a school as a PTA helper or to be working in a healthcare facility as a receptionist or being a doctor or being a scientist or or a gamer or whatever the case may be go do it with all of heaven on your side listening to the kingdom of heaven and releasing God's will through your hands to bring about change and to bring people into the kingdom and all of God's people said amen All right, I'm going to wrap it up there. I could talk about this forever. I hope this has been helpful for you. Go after it. Get after it. Have gusto. Have courage. I know I am. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.